knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned, there's not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi and welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp and my co-host is Ashley Glassick and Today, we're going to kind of do a low-key episode and maybe wrap up some of what we've been talking about by sharing some of the questions and maybe comments that have come in from some of our episodes on patriarchy or maybe um, the episode on the purity culture and women's roles and, and that sort of thing. But there is an interesting post in the group, Ashley, and you actually pointed me to it. And I thought this would be uh, something we could even talk about in regards to what we've been talking about. This woman talks about, you know, that she works outside the home. Her husband's a much better cook. <laughs> She's raising daughters who like the sciences and not the arts. And she talks about needing to be reminded of God's definition of womanhood and that it's not necessarily this Victorian or 1950s housewife definition. And hmm. I think that's a great point. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I always think of um, this kind of is related. So just stay with me for a second. I always think of the, the secular feminist movement and how they celebrate women who buck traditional stereotypes, you know, like women who are, you know, scientists and, um, you know, right. just any, anything that's not a homemaker. And what I like about the discussions we've been having lately is that you don't have to say like one is necessarily better than the other. Like women are called to do different things, you know, like right. I, I feel like modern, like feminists always mock homemaking and being a stay at home right. mom and, and, and just look at, you know, these powerful women working in society and go, yes, that's what women should be. And then there's sometimes on the other side, you know, very conservative circles will mock, you know, women who work outside the home and celebrate, you know, like the, the homemaker. And I, I just think women, women do different things and homemaking is a really great thing. 
Um, right. And working outside the home could be a great thing too. So, right. And yeah. one thing we've talked about is all of our families are going to look different and, and there'll be different reasons for that. We have women in our group who have told me, I can't stay at home. I really want to right now. I can't stay at home. In fact, one gal, when I first met her, she said, please pray that I will be able to stay at home. And she's actually, I've gotten to see over the last several months. Now she's working very little outside the home, but she still does some work from home for her job. And and so, but they say, I, I literally can't, we cannot afford it. You know, we live in California and it's expensive and we, I, I can't stay home all the time right now or whatever they may say. And, and I think you're right that there's a, some, sometimes, and I think even in our circles, there's kind of a, a looking down. I've seen in some reformed groups, you know, people say that it is absolutely 100% wrong for a woman to work outside the home. Hmm. Yeah. And I just don't think it's that clear in, in scripture that we can say that. Um, what we do know is that women are to care for their homes and that should be like priority, you know, um, caring for their homes and their, their families. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean stay-at-home mom. But it, but it could, it could right. definitely mean that. And a right. lot of times, I think it means that. You know, a lot of women yeah. are stay-at-home moms, and um, I, you know, I think it's really great because I, I think um, definitely our secular culture scoffs at the idea of a stay-at-home mom. Um, at least, right. you know, do you think maybe? When you were talking about the feminists and how they scoff at the stay-at-home mom, do you think maybe one difference in maybe the Christian work mom who has to work outside the home and maybe that feminist is that that job is hmm. is often priority over the family, where the women that I know that are working outside the home, their family is still priority over that job. And I'm not it saying that's true of all feminists at all, but... Right. Yeah, it's I think I think they they want women working outside the home because they see that as fulfilling, whereas a lot, you know, they might not see mothering and being a wife as fulfilling. And so it's like you need to have this great job um, so that your identity is all wrapped up in how successful you are and um that can be so devastating, right? <laughs> you know, because right. what happens when you're not successful, you know, like you're just working like a menial job and there's no way to move forward. And yeah, I, I think that's a good point. It's, you know, the Christian women I know that are working outside the home, their focus is they're doing this for their family. Like they're, right. they're sacrificing for their family and to meet the needs, the financial needs uh, yeah. of the family. And and you even used, and you even brought up something I was going to say, and that is identity. I think that there's so much emphasis on what is your identity. We yes. see a lot of that around. And as Christians, our identity is in Christ. Right. And as someone who I was always really academically strong and athletically and I can get very easily wrapped up into that, um, you know, just wanting 
wanting to be known and respected for doing this or that, um, you know, in my career or whatever. So um, it is very persuasive. Um, right. What they're selling is very persuasive, but not not in the end, it's not fulfilling. So right. Yeah, because yeah. even if you even if you do have even, you know, I know some non-Christian women with maybe some more conservative values, even stay at home moms and and yet they don't have Christ and, you know, and they love their families and everything, but they feel like something is missing. Where is my identity? And so regardless of whether you're the working woman or the stay at home mom and we have our identity and who we are in Christ, regardless of what our life looks like. And the thing that we've said so many times before, and I just wanted to kind of remind everyone of this, is that each family needs to make the best and wisest decision for your family, whether it's being a stay-at-home mom, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom for part of the time, but not all of the time, you know, whatever you and your husband decide together, you know, you do it prayerfully and you seek to have wisdom in making those decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, you know, just on a personal level, like I definitely want to be a stay-at-home mom. Um, that's mine and my husband's goal. But I know that I, because of my education and things, I have skills that I can still use as a stay-at-home mom. Like I, I'm a math teacher, so I can, I would love to like work, work with a local like homeschool co-op, you know, teaching math to older kids, you know, cause moms get right. a little scared, you know? So, you know, we, we, we all have our own skills, you know, that we can use. And sometimes we can use those skills to help out our families financially while we still are mostly staying home. Um, right. So it's not, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> right. I know some stay at home moms and homeschooling moms, and they do make some extra money by teaching at a local homeschool co-op. Some co-ops cost money. Some don't, they're run different ways. But um, my mom actually, after she retired as a teacher and they moved from Southern California to Colorado and she went and taught at a homeschool co-op and they, at that one, um, each child did pay per course. So she was making a little extra money doing that, just teaching one day a week. And I have a couple of friends who teach two days a week. And so there, there's some options too, where you're able to stay at home a lot of the time with your kids, but still bring in some extra money or tutoring. That's another one, mm -hmm. you know, that you could potentially do especially math, like we talked about last week in education, that's sometimes a difficult subject for homeschooling moms to tackle once they get past a certain part in math. You know, even the things I did learn, like when I was like trying to teach my son algebra and here it's like algebra one. And I'm like, I, I took all this, but I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Um, and um, not like you're probably keeping up with it, you know? Yeah. Well, I actually, I will periodically go back and I don't know if our listeners know this, but schools like MIT and Harvard offer free classes online and you can like watch all the lectures for the courses. Ooh. You can even have access to some of their like tests and other materials that they use. Um, so <laughs> this is going to sound really nerdy, but I'll go back and watch 
calculus lectures and things because I, you know, not teaching calculus right now and I forget, forget some things. So, right. Oh, I, I think I'm, that's I'm, great. I'm sure, I'm sure everyone listening is just going to run out and go watch calculus lectures. Right. <laughs> calculus. Um, before we get to what we're going to talk about today, I wanted to recommend um, a podcast. Um, there's a podcast called Risen Motherhood that I recently found. And mm -hmm. they just did a whole series on educational choices that you know, Christians are making and it was really good, especially since we did our education episode last week. Um, someone had mentioned it to me in the group. And so I listened to it, uh, this week and it, it was really good. So if you're, and I if think you're, they went in more detail than we did. Yes. On some of the choices. Well, they interviewed, you know, a homeschool mom, a private school mom and a public school mom, just about pros, cons, you know, why you made your decision. And it was really good. It was really, really encouraging, I thought. So we, we can um, link that in the episode notes. Anything yeah. we talk about today, um, we can link in the episode notes. Well, there is a question that I've gotten at least three times, at least come right at me since our patriarchy. And if three different people took the time to come to me and say, I have a question, it might be something that other of our listeners are have wondered. And it is something we talked a little bit about when we did our uh, biblical manhood and womanhood episode when we were doing our kind of complementarianism series before. And the question, it's been different versions of this, but it's basically... Is is complementarianism good or is it just another word for patriarchy? That's that's the basic question. So mm -hmm. what do you think? I'll let you start. So they're asking they're asking like is complementarianism like different than patriarchy or Yeah. Well they're saying is it is it bad? Like is complementarianism mm -hmm. bad too? Is it is it just a a form of patriarchy? Oh, I see. Okay, I understand the question. And and someone in our group even pointed out that the pa the word patriarchy doesn't necess isn't necessarily mean something bad, but it's taken on a bad meaning yeah. re recently. I, I would say okay. So the patri patriarchy itself has a definition. If you want to go to Webster's definition, mm -hmm. but when we are talking about Christian patriarchy, that is a very that it is a bad thing. It is a very specific movement. So Christian patriarchy is a movement, while patriarchy itself it is a word with a definition. The two are not necessarily the same. And you even hear patriarchy used in a, in another sort of negative way, you know, the feminists, you know, kill the mm -hmm. patriarchy and things like that. So words can be used different ways, but Christian patriarchy, which we were addressing, is a very specific thing with a specific definition. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, and I, I think this gets so hard because it's, it's like the word reformed, you know, how people say, oh, I'm reformed, right. I'm reformed, but they mean two different things. So you really have to be clear about, like, what you're talking about. Um, so I do not know. I don't think complementarianism is bad. Um, I, I mean, even the word complementarian has had some issues lately, but I'm not one to get rid of that title yet. I know some people have said, you know, they don't, 
they don't they no longer like it because of how it's been used wrongly but i i still am very comfortable saying i'm a complementarian and i think complementarianism biblically reflects um gender roles in in scripture so um i just think there's issues when you take complementarianism and you you run too far in one direction but there's also issues when you see the troubling side of complementarianism in the church and you run in the other direction um towards egalitarianism so um i guess my answer is no i, I think i'm answering it okay. correctly i yeah i'm gonna actually take another position than ashley so i i keep thinking back to well before i tell you what my position is i think ashley is right that we really need to guard ourselves from overcorrecting by saying here's something that's bad and going too far the other way and one thing we talked about in the i believe it was in the women's roles episode that we're at a place where we need to stand back and we need to go back to scripture and say what exactly does scripture say and I think, um, I think there's a lot of reactionary stuff going on right now. Um, but one thing that keeps coming to my mind is that complementarianism as a movement with recovering biblical manhood and womanhood is that its original foundation was founded on things like a wrong view of Genesis 3.16. Hmm. And there are things within it where many of the main proponents that are proponents also of eternal subordination of the sun. And so I, I'm kind of one that says, I'm, I don't know that I'd like to say, hey, I'm a complementarian. If complementarianism is defined by Center for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and I think it is, they're the ones who pretty much started it. And so for me, I'm kind of the place that I want to stand back and say, I am a reformed confessional Christian. And here's the things that I believe. I believe that God made men and women equal, but different with different roles. And we see those roles, especially played out in the church and the home, that God has made men to be the leaders in the home, that we are to submit voluntarily to our husbands and our husbands are to love us as Christ loved the church, that it is men that are to be the leaders in the church. And so that's kind of where I'm at. I think for me, the confusion of the word is has brought on my hesitation to use it. So that's where I'm at with the word complementarian. Now, so I'm not going to say complementarianism is good or bad because I think it's how you define it. Mm -hmm. If you're going to define it using a wrong view of Genesis 3.16, and if if you're not sure what I'm talking about, go back and listen to our episode with Wendy Alsup. But in, in short, it's how how we interpret and her desire shall be for her husband and he shall rule over her. So it, it was, is that desire mean that she's trying to usurp his authority? And that was a fairly new view, which came out in the seventies and which complementarianism with was built on. And that's actually, I have a couple of great articles. I can even link them. I just read a new article today. I hadn't read before about why that does not mean that. And so if complementarianism is being defined by what Center for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood has been defining it recently, which implies all women submitting to all men, that's not exactly what they would say, but there is an implication there, then no, I don't think it's good. 
But if it's being defined as what I just said that I believe, then that would be fine that we're made, that we're equal, but different and have different roles. And, you know, then, then I'm, then I'm okay with it. But I think it goes back to, I think, like the word reformed has happened. And I think more so now is that people are defining complementarianism different. Now to answer, is it just another type of patriarchy? And I think that when you get to the more extreme forms of complementarianism, there's actually many, I, I can't say many, but some people who do, do promote patriarchy views call themselves complementarians. And so I think if, when you look at more extreme versions of of complementarianism, it, it really does start to look a little bit more like patriarchy. So mm -hmm. my encouragement would be, let's step back and let's look at what does scripture say? What does scripture say about men and women? That yes, we are called to submit to our husbands and our husbands are called to love us as Christ loved the church that men are to be the leaders in the home and in the church. I mean, so let's step back and and affirm what we believe that scripture has to say about men and women. So that, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, that's a good, those are some good points. Something I thought of while you were talking is, uh, you know, as whether we're gonna call ourselves complementarian or confessional, um, we also affirm of course, that only men are to hold ordained offices in the church. Um, and I've seen a lot of push to have women hold other, not offices, but um, positions in right. the church. Like even deacons ordained. They'll yeah. say, well, they and can be deacons, but we won't ordain them. Yeah, or even just having like ministry type positions and we need more women doing this or that. And I, I just don't really, I don't really agree with that. Like I'm not like, I, I, you know, we've talked about, you know, in what context can women actually teach, but I'm just not going to be someone that's crusading to, you know, you know, have more women um, in certain positions in the church. Um, I'm, I'm happy you know, with my, my male pastors and my elders. And I, I, I don't think, you know, we need a hired female, I don't know, position um, right. in our church. Uh, and I, I know some people would disagree. Uh, well, especially we have like 40 people in our church, so uh, <laughs> it would be <laughs> highly unnecessary. But um, I've just seen that a lot lately, you know, articles about you know, why we need women working in churches, I guess, like women, right. women who are like seminary, been to seminary and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't, maybe, maybe it's different for larger churches where they have um, just more like administrative and, you know, more like large women's ministries and things like that. But I'm pretty used to uh, small reform churches now. And, uh, I, I guess I don't see a, a need for that. Yeah, there was so. actually, speaking of that, I'm not going to say who, who wrote this tweet, but um, somebody whose home I've spent time in and whose family, you know, I know, and a respected pastor, used to be a pastor in Presbyterian Church, said, I'm on the verge of believing in lady preachers trying hard to hold the line here, y'all. And I think I 
am actually concerned that in response to some of the abuses, the extreme complementarianism, the patriarchy, that people are going too far the other way. And I was just heartbroken to see that tweet today. Right. Like, like we can both, we can both call out the abuses we see um, when people take, take complementarianism too far, but we can also go back and affirm that, you know, submission to our husbands is a good thing and male leadership in the church is a good thing. Like we don't have to like trade one, one extreme for another (laughs) extreme. Throw the, throw the baby out with the bathwater, as we've been saying, as we've talked about this a lot. Um, right. So. And I've even seen, too, and I, I expect this from the world, but I've been seeing a little more of it in our circles, and it concerns me, and that is, but saying a wife should submit to her husband, that can lead to abuse. Hmm. And I, you know, any, any system that you, that you lay out, because we live in a sinful world and people sin, could result in something negative. But we should not say, I'm not going to embrace something that is clear in scripture because it could lead to something bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, like so many things could lead to something bad. Um, And so that, yeah, that's not a reason to like throw it out. It reminds me of my middle school students, actually. They love to ask what if questions. Right. And they'll be like, what if like a bear came into the room? Like <laughs> they just ask like crazy questions. I'm like, really, guys, we're still going to take the midterm. So <laughs> you can keep asking your what if questions. <laughs> we're still going to keep going on with class. So, right. Well, and we're told to submit to our husbands in view of him loving us as Christ loved the church. OK, so a husband who's loving his wife as Christ loved the church is not abusing her. Right. Yeah. So that submission isn't just submit to your husband no matter what. As we've said before, if you're being abused, your husband's controlling you or whatnot, go to your pastor. Please Mm -hmm. go to your pastor because that's not the picture that scripture gives us. You're not supposed to submit to abuse. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And we, we shouldn't, if we're scoffing at submission, we're scoffing at something that God ordered and laid out clearly in scriptures. So I think we just need to be really careful when we have these discussions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've talked on other episodes about what that looks like. And mm-hmm. I think maybe that's part of the problem is people. I know that one gal told me, you know, I grew up in a home influenced by patriarchy. And so for her, if she grew up in a home influenced by patriarchy, then she may have a very negative perception of what submission looks like because she's thinking she maybe didn't see um, a husband who was loving his wife like Christ loved the church. But submitting to my husband does not feel burdensome. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't because he loves me, because he he always asks what I think about things. He doesn't rule with hammer and say, this is, this is the way it's going to be because I said so. If we're making a decision, it's, you know, hey, honey, what do you think? What do you think about this? Should we do this or this? He wants to hear what I have to say. And he, he really listens to what I have to say. Like he really wants to hear what I have to say. Sometimes I'll say, oh, I don't care. 
go ahead and do whatever you think is best. And he'll be like, I really want to hear what your thoughts are, though. Yeah, I think I've seen um, I actually saw like on the other end, um, just people here and there marriages I've gotten to witness, you know, growing up where why and, and I think this is actually kind of typ typical in some secular marriages where wives pretty much run the show and I, I it's it can be very that can wreak havoc on a family <laughs> you know like a very passive father right. and then a wife who's very much in charge and and controlling of everything that's going on um it just isn't good and so I, I've seen that. Um, and so now being married to a like a loving husband who I, who I can submit to, I, I'm like, God's, God's way of marriage is just so much better <laughs> than, yeah, than, yeah. than how we naturally would want to be married, you know? So it's, I mean, when it's, when it works out, when you're being obedient and it's working out the way it should, it's a beautiful thing. It is a wonderful thing to be able to submit to a husband who is loving you. There were some other questions uh, yeah. we've gotten. So right? this is another one and that I've, I've heard a couple of times, and I think it's an important one. I actually even talked to Rachel about it since it came in a couple of times. And so I think I have a pretty good handle on what I think. And that is... Some people have said, isn't there a good kind of patriarchy and a bad kind of patriarchy? And they were not talking about what Ashley talked about earlier in, you know, the Webster Dictionary de definition. They were talking about within the movement, isn't there a patriarchy that's not as bad? And I think for me, that, or this is what <laughs> I believe to be the case, I think and impressing one person, what I figured out that she was talking about is, isn't there extremes? And not all patriarchy is oppressive and that sort of thing. You know, I know people that hold to it and the husband is very loving and whatnot. And so, first of all, there are different extremes, even within the big names involved in the movement. Uh, there may be different emphases. Um that they each have, and they're definitely, definitely different extremes. I've seen abuse in patriarchy, but I've seen very, very loving husbands in patriarchy too. But I think the reason why I can't say, because your husband is very loving and kind and everything, that does not mean that it's a good kind of patriarchy. Because I think, and go back and listen to our episodes if you need to, is it's still based on a flawed system. So it's not, your husband may love you just like Christ loved the church, but that's not really, uh, we're not saying patriarchy is bad because it can become abusive. That's not what Rachel was saying. Rachel was saying patriarchy is bad because it's not biblical. It's the foundation of what it's built on is not something that we find in scripture. So I don't know if you want to add to that at all. It's one of those things where I've had so little interaction with anybody in that movement that I don't even think I could provide an adequate answer. <laughs> so I, I just know what I've been told and it doesn't seem that's th that there, there there's good parts of it. But um, what, what you said makes a lot of sense that there's probably um, loving marriages, you know, of people within the movement. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I guess I, 
I just can't speak to it without knowing really that many people involved in it. And I'm not sure I've even said this before, but we attended a church where a large percentage of the people just for two years, a large percentage of the people did embrace it. And I, I will tell you, there was one couple that church and they probably embraced it more dogmatically than anyone I know. And that man, I mean, I, I love these people dearly. And that man loved his wife so much. And, you know, there was still different rules and different things like that. But he, he was not abusive in any way. He was very, very loving to his wife. He still is. We still know him. And so I, the reason we were talking about it, it's just like complementarianism. We didn't, we don't, the people that want to say it can lead to abuse. So that's why it's bad, you know, which I, I don't think it can because it has within complementarianism or biblical manhood and womanhood, how we were defining it, husband's going to love his wife as Christ loved the church. But patriarchy, our issue with it isn't that it can become abusive. Our issue with it, at least mine, I'll speak for myself here, and Rachel, I think, would say also is because it's built on something that we don't believe is biblical. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good answer. Yeah. So let me get, I have a couple other questions. Oh, one of the questions, and I don't, this is kind of a hard one to actually answer because I've not been in this situation, but somebody wanted to know if their husband embraces patriarchy, how can they talk to him about it? I think it depends on if the church embraces it because if they're embracing it, um, like I'm thinking if they were in my church, you know, my pastor and elders would want to talk to them about it, but gosh, if you're in a church that's teaching it from the pulpit, I don't, I don't know what you would do. Right. I mean, yeah, I, the thing that I would, that I would think, think or say, if somebody came to me privately, I I would probably encourage them to go back to scripture and maybe even talk with their husbands, hmm. you know, about about what some of those passages really mean. It I I do know someone who's in a situation, you know, they came and said, My husband, he's being been um abusive in the past, isn't now, but he does embrace patriarchy. Of course, my like go to answer is you need to go talk to your pastor. Yeah, my pastor embraces it too. And so Now, I will tell you, any woman who comes to me and says, I'm being physically abused, I'm going to tell them to get to a safe place right away. I don't mess around with that. Mm -hmm. But um, if you're not being physically abused, I I would say it's something to continue to respectfully um, discuss with your husband going back to what scripture says. I think that's the best thing I can think of. That's just such a difficult one, you know, if, if you were in a church. Well, yeah, and I'm also thinking if you're really influenced by some of the extreme parts of that movement, as a wife, you're not supposed to really question your husband at all. So it right. could be hard to be a wife in that situation when he thinks you're not not supposed to really question anything, you know? So yeah, um, definitely, definitely pray, pray about it, and yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Reach out. Reach out to your pastor's elders. I mean, that's like the go-to answer, I know. Um, but um, I, I don't know much more than that. So this is an interesting question. And I'll actually 
I'm going to, Rachel answered this one. So I'll say what she said, and then we can talk about it. But someone asked, if someone believes that women should not join the military or go off to war, does that qualify as patriarchy? And what Rachel said is, that's one that many conservatives disagree over. I don't think it's necessarily patriarchal. In enlisting in the military and right. going off to war? Yeah, go joining the military and go or going and or going off to war. And she said it might depend on why they think it's wrong, if if yeah. that's an actual patriarchy thing. What do you think? I, well, I personally don't think women should go off to war. So right. um and I don't think I'm I don't think I'm patriarchal. I mean, no. I'm pretty sure I'm not. So I don't think it's wrong for women to be in the military. I just don't think they should be in combat um, right. at all. Um, and I'm, and I don't necessarily have a biblical basis for that. I just, I just personally don't think, <laughs> um, I don't think women should, you know, it's actually funny is I was a feminist before, or at least I called myself a feminist when I became a Christian and I started dating my husband and I remember we, we had a conversation and I, you know, I still, even though I was a Christian, I still had a lot of like worldly kind of feminist views. And my husband said, told me that, like, I don't think women should be in combat. And I remember being like offended. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> wow. You're, you just really hate women or no, I didn't you say that, but patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and actually, after talking with him, I've talked with him a few times about it. I was like, yeah, I actually, okay, I actually agree with your reasonings for that. So um, just kind of well, funny. Well, this is a way that God has made men and women different that may play out in the, you know, in the civic sphere. Um, yeah. So God has made men in general stronger. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a reason why... Um, it's men's football that is popular and women's football is never take, you know, taken hold or wrestling. You do have women wrestlers, but more often you're going to see male boxers and, and wrestlers. And there are jobs for women in war. You can look at pictures even back, you know, World War II, and you see many women nurses that are there assisting, you know, men who've been shot or hurt in combat. Yeah. And I, I actually, now that I think about it, like historically, like if we go way back, there have been times when women have to fight just because of a shortage of people. Um, but I think generally they, they shouldn't, you know, well, men, Men, because they're stronger and, um, you know, have some different ways that God has made them, are probably better at defending. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when I was a runner, a competitive distance runner, I am really glad I didn't have to race, <laughs> you know, the, the, right. the, I was going to say boys, I don't know, you know, I was like 16, 17, and, we're running around five minute miles and they're running around four minute miles. So I'm really glad I didn't have to compete against them because <laughs> right. I would have been way back. So, well, when you watch the Olympics, cause we just, um, we had the winter Olympics recently and I love the summer Olympics also. And mm -hmm. one thing you see with that, um, is the men and women compete differently because they, in a lot of sports, the men would have an advantage over the woman. I mean, it would always be male 
you know, gold medal medal winners for certain sports. Mm-hmm. If yeah. if they were competing together, and if I know when I've watched different races in the Olympics, where when somebody beats a world record, the record that a man for men is different than right. the world record for a woman. As it should be, we're physically just different. Yeah, our, we're our muscle muscle mass, our aerobic capacity. I mean, we're just different, and that's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, you it's, know, it's I actually I was watching this video. I don't know if any of our listeners saw this. There was like this interview at Portland State University where this biologist was saying men and women are different, like biologically. And saying how like men are naturally taller and this and that. And there was like protesters calling her like a fascist for for saying men and women are different. Oh wow. and my husband and I watched this, we were like cracking up. We're like, well, this is a crazy world that we live in where you can't say like men and women are biologically different in a lot of ways. Like that's just observable truth. I mean Right. It, it just is. <laughs> but she's well, getting called a fascist. Look so. how God has even made us differently. I don't generally, even if somebody wasn't wearing gender specific clothes, I don't generally need to ask somebody, are you a female or a male? I mean, I've never had to ask somebody that because God <laughs> has even made our features very differently. Different Men have, you know, an Adam's apple that stick out and often are pretty much, you know, noses that are larger and women have softer features, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, our differences wow. are so obvious. I mean, he's made us very different. And you probably see teaching junior high age, middle school age, that even differences between them, even at that age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are some days I'd much prefer a middle school boy to a middle school girl. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the day. <laughs> right. Well, girl, and, and so many things we just know. I mean, oftentimes women are more emotional. They're more mm -hmm. sensitive than than a man. But I was even thinking we're doing home renovations right now. And we had a while ago built um, a new room. And I'm so glad that my husband does that. And I know there's some women that love doing that stuff. And I'm not one of them. But, you know, he does it and he's very good at it. And my best friend's husband is a carpenter. And, you know, they've been um, they've been hanging a chair rail this week in my son's room. And, you know, they enjoy. And if you drive past a construction site, you're going to see primarily men. And so we see those differences play out just in society. Yeah. In, in many ways, even so I think it's important to say, even though that we believe that what scripture speaks to primarily is in the church and the home. Yeah. That does not mean that there are not ways in which our differences do play out in society. Yeah. They definitely do. Which and we, okay. you know, we've talked about um, even even before. So one, one more, and this isn't a question so much, but this was more of a comment, and I just thought it was very interesting. And that is a gal said that she visited a church, and they were told, they were told this their first Sunday, that women are not allowed to exegete scripture. 
they need to go to their husbands or an elder. And women learning theology outside of being keepers at home was unnecessary. Hmm. What do you think about that? <sighs> well, Colleen, oh, they didn't go back to that church. <laughs> we are two women doing a podcast who love theology. So I think I'm going to say I disagree with that. <laughs> right. So it's okay for women to be studying theology then. Yes. I, I, and I, not only is it okay, I think we should as women be studying theology. Absolutely. And it's yeah. really fun to study it with your husbands. And, yeah. um, oh, I'm just so glad my church doesn't teach that. <laughs> I mean, in, you know, in Sunday school, like our, you know, whoever's leading it will ask questions and it's fun to hear from what the women in the room think. And, you know, it's right. You know, it's like brothers and sisters in Christ and, you know, we're, we're all kind of learning and, um, you know, I just, I don't know. I just love that aspect of the body and, um, I just love hearing from everybody. And I think I'd be sad if like only men were allowed to talk about the, what, I mean, are women, do they go in the other room when men? Oh, I think they're allowed to be there. They're just not, they just have to listen to what oh, the, the, the men say. Now, I know that something that both you and I do is when we are having a difficult time understanding a passage, both of us call up our pastors. You know, we yeah. don't hesitate to do that. Hey, pastor, I don't, I mean, I've done this so many times. Um, like I remember I went to my pastor about, um, the first Corinthians passage about head coverings because there was some, you, you see discussions all the time online. And so I just want to, you know, what the people who wear head coverings and I have great respect. Many of our reform sisters do, you know, some of the stuff that they said, you know, made sense to me, but I went to my pastor and and I said, can you help me understand this? And I do, I am grateful for the leaders in the church in being able to do that and help us understand. And even our husbands, I'll ask my husband, hey, there was something, in fact, this is a few years ago, there was something I was being influenced by online, a, a certain idea. And so I said something to my husband and he said, oh, no, that's not true. And he rattled off some verses. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't even think about that. You're right. And so I, but my husband also likes to, you know, he, I talk to him all the time about things that I'm learning. And he might say, oh, I'm not sure I agree with you on that. And here's why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, that's, that's what it should look like. So I was actually just thinking about this today on my way home because um, I actually was meeting with my pastor to discuss something with him. And um, I was remembering three or four years ago, maybe I've shared this on the podcast before, but I was remembering I was, you know, pretty new to Reformed. Well, I knew Calvinism, but I was new to like the rest of Reformed theology and I was spending a lot of time on Facebook reading articles and things like that. And I posted something in a group about, oh, wow, I'm learning all this stuff. And someone commented, make sure as you're learning, you're talking to your, your husband, your pastor, your elders about, you know, what you're learning. And I was just taken aback that someone said that. And it's really 
I'm really thankful that they did. And it's something I've really tried to do in the last, you know, three to four years is ask questions of my husband, of um, the pastors and elders who are, you know, over me and who are, you know, supposed to be shepherding me um, and not just getting tossed <laughs> in the waves of internet, you know, theology. So um, that's really grounded me at times when I, I read things here and there and I'll listen to podcasts and it's just so easy to be influenced by a lot of things that are outside of your local church. And like you were kind of saying this, we really need to be, you know, surrounding ourselves with um, our local church and being influenced by, by our pastors and seeking out, you know, them and asking them questions too. So that that's a really important point because I think one of the things that's happened in modern evangelicalism is where the church doesn't play much into our faith and practice and, and the churches should be so important to our Christian faith and practice that yeah. um, otherwise we end up, you know, in this kind of Jesus and me theology I'm just going to believe whatever I want. And and then you think of that survey they or the poll that they did a couple of years ago asking Christians all kinds of questions on foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. And they found that most people who call themselves Christians are embracing heresy. Mm-hmm. Or like basically Catholicism with right. how they view salvation and works mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. It and I and I will say it's been a blessing. I used to be in a really large church. It's been a blessing to be in a smaller church because I'm just known by my elders and pastors. Um, so I know it can be a little more difficult when you're one of, you know, a thousand or two thousand or three thousand or even five hundred. I mean, that's pretty big. Um yeah. but I'm in a I'm in a tiny little church now, so it's a little easier <laughs> to access yeah. them. Um, but but yeah. even if you're in a big church, make sure you know your elders and they know you and you know I mean that that's their job to 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 know you and and to shepherd you. So um yeah. Right. I and I, I I don't know if you run into this, but when somebody asks me something and I say, Go ask your pastor, my my pastor doesn't even know my name, you know, mm-hmm. and someone was like, Well, I sent my pastor an email and he told and he emailed back and says he doesn't meet with people, you know, and um Yeah, that's, that's unfortunate that's unfortunate. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying if you're in a large church it's a bad church. No. But I just think that having a relationship with your with those that are supposed to be shepherding you and in authority over you is, is an important aspect of our faith. And usually large churches will have like multiple pastors. So, right. I guess you just, you just have to, especially if you're in a large church, be intentional about getting to know them. Um, cause they have a lot of people to shepherd. So, yeah. Um, that's a good point. Well, we haven't done a yeah about that in a couple of weeks and, um, I'll see what you think about this this one. Okay. You have to choose to intentionally remember God's goodness if you want your brokenness to be remembered into wholeness. 
remembered? <laughs> Wait. Okay. I'm not sure what it means. Maybe maybe you can figure it out. Okay. So you have to choose to intentionally remember God's goodness. I you know what? I, I can agree with that. You know, remember God's goodness. You're going through a difficult time. Remember God's goodness. If you but this is the part I'm having trouble with. If you want your brokenness. Okay, so and so obviously she's saying if you're broken, remember God's goodness, that's fine. But if you want your brokenness to be remembered into wholeness. I I guess I I just feel like remembered is the wrong verb in that sentence. And I'm wondering if it's a typo or if that was intentionally. If you want your, like, I feel like it should say your brokenness turned into wholeness. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's probably, that might be what she meant. And and if that, if that was it, there, there may be some, some truth in that. I think the remembered is a, is, is the difficult thing mm-hmm. here because remem- if she means remembered, it's almost pointing to God being the one to remember. Hmm. And so, you know, I'm not a big fan of using the word brokenness to describe arson nature because <laughs> um, it's kind of like a euphemism for depravity. But I mean, is she talking about our sin nature becoming more like Christ? Is that, are we talking about like sanctification and? You know what, knowing knowing this person and the sorts of things that come out of some of these people, I think brokenness is so often used differently though. Like you're broken because you've been through so many difficult things. You're broken because of your bad marriage or the abuse that you went through before. Um, so n- I'm not sure she's meaning depravity. I've, I took it more as meaning broken because of life circumstances. Oh, like in a, in a tough spot. Like, yeah, your, your brokenness, like you have baggage, like you have, yeah. Okay. Into wholeness. So she's talking more about like healing from your, the wounds of like life. Yeah. So I think she's saying if you want the thing that's I like, I'm almost interpreting interpreting it now into the turn to like you said and that's exactly how what I was going to say too is that you know turned into wholeness so if it was that it would be you have to choose to intentionally remember God's goodness if you want your brokenness to be turned into wholeness and so if it was that there may be some truth if you took remembered out of it I'm just not sure if you want who is it that you're asking to remember your brokenness but if I think I think part of it is that sometimes some teachers try to say something very profound and clever on Twitter and it doesn't necessarily hmm. come across yeah. real well. And so it I mean I I would say that in your suffering if that's what we're talking about in your suffering in difficult times that you should remember God's goodness and and that can be used in um, getting you through the trial, but I'm not sure that's what she's saying. Hmm. Yeah, because you could say that remembering God's goodness in your trials, that is good. That is right on. And if that's kind of what she's saying, um, I'm I'm on board. Um, but it could also sound like, uh, 
like you're healing yourself by remembering God's goodness and that I'm not, not totally on board with. Right. And I, the first time I read it, thought she was saying, you need to remember God's goodness um, if you want him to remember your brokenness and make you whole. And that's more how I thought that she was saying it. And if that's true, whether you are intentional about remembering God's goodness or not, the wonderful news that we have is that we are being sanctified. We know that sanctification is a work of God's free grace. He is working inside of us, even when we fail over and over to be mindful of his goodness. I need to remind myself often of of who God is, that he is faithful, that he's always been faithful. He's not going to stop being faithful now, that he is always good, that he is always loving. I have to remind myself of those things in those difficult times. But I'm also grateful that when I fail at being mindful of God's goodness on a daily basis, that I know that he is still working in me and sanctifying me. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's, That's actually very encouraging. So if, if that's what she meant, then, then right on. Right. I'm not sure that's what she meant, but I didn't go and read the, um, I didn't uh, go and read like the responses to see if she clarified. I may have to, to do that for some reason. I'm not sure, you know, Twitter, when you go to the part, like the search option and stuff, and then it'll have like things you may be interested in. Um, I don't know why. It thinks I want women teachers, that that's what I'm interested in. And it's no women teachers I follow, though, okay? it's um, it, it always shows me Beth Moore and Ann Voskamp and Priscilla Schreier and all, all of these. Like, I, I'm not sure where it connected that, um, that things that I may want to see. But it says that... I want to see those people. So I, I see some interest and I'll take a peek sometimes at some of those interesting women teachers, but there's a, there are some wonderful, there are really some wonderful women teachers out there. Um, you know, Amy Bird has, her books have been such a blessing to so many women in our group. And um, I've learned so much from Rachel Miller and mm-hmm. there, there's a bunch of them out there. So not. And Jen Wilkin. Well, I like Jen Oh Wilkin. yes. Yep, she's yeah. another another yeah. good one. I so like her her one. book, uh, Women of the Word. I really like that book. That yeah, good. I haven't I haven't read it, but I know that um, there was some girls in our group that did a Women of the Word, I think, discussion group. Mm-hmm. I just have too much too much on my plate to join <laughs> it. But I will say, for those who don't know, Theology Gals has a a Tuesday night Bible study going through Hosea. If you're not in our group and you're interested in that, contact me. I'll give you information. And that has been really a huge blessing. We're still kind of in the beginning of it. And Hosea, like, it's just been such a, it's such a great, great book of the Bible. Much to learn from, from that. Sometimes we, I think, read the New Testament more often. But there's, there's so, so much in the Old Testament books that we can learn more about God and and be encouraged. So, well, thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next week.